Good evening. It's good to be here. Pastor, thanks for having me. Oh, you're leaving. All right, the preacher's gone. What do we do now? I was going to thank Pastor for reading that passage of Scripture so well. I am preaching on that passage at seminary this coming week. And uh, the title that I'll put on that is How Not to Wear Out or How Not to Faint. What keeps us going? And that passage is just jam-packed full of information that should encourage us. If you would go with me, please, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And I'll take a little bit of time to review where we were this morning in Sunday school. Pastor's repented. He came back in the back. I'm, I'm, I'm for you, Pastor. I'm for you. I, I just told the people you repented. He walked out. Did you see him here? I think he shook his fist at me when he went out. I'm not sure. I... So even if you weren't here in a Sunday school lesson, there's some continuity. And we could say a theme for the whole day would be reaching a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning we had opportunity to see how Christ sees. We could say how he saw, that, that, that's true, he was there, but he is alive, so how Christ sees. And so we're reviewing, Philipp, excuse me, we're reviewing Luke chapter 4, verse 18, where it talks about the profile. What do we got, trouble there, Ter? That'll teach me to kid around with the preacher. I tell you, she's going to get that fixed. I reminisced with Pastor last night. I saw his uh, twin boys at the door. They were helping greet people. And it reminded me of uh, Pastor. I was preaching in eastern Michigan. Never been to the church before, and I'd preached in a morning service and just spoke to the pastors, his, the pastor's kids. Then I had afternoon with some other folks. And, and uh, that night, I came to the church and I, had, I walked from the parking lot, uh, probably the length of the whole, the whole auditorium here, maybe more. And I saw the pastor's sons out there greeting people. And I thought, isn't that nice? And I got a little closer, and I could hear somebody kind of harassing the pastor's kids. Now, leave me alone, kid. And it was all done in good fun. I got a little bit closer, and I saw how the pastor's sons were greeting people. You can't come in unless you give us money. Whoa! So I watched, and you know, the people were very gracious with him and kind of cuffed him out of the way. And, and uh, I, I walked up there, and he says to me, he says, you can't come. It gets better, folks. He said, you can't come in unless you give us money. And I said, I'm the missionary. He says, oh, we give you money. <laughs> the parsonage was next door. And I said, I'm just, I didn't even know the parsonage was next door. I said, do you have any money for me? Yeah, I got a piggy bank at home. I'll be right back. And off the kid starts to run toward, and I know, hold it, hold it. Come on back, come on back. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. How are we doing there, Terry? Terry and I have been married for 49 years and, what, 52 weeks. We'll celebrate our 50th anniversary soon. It's God's grace. Most of our friends in western Montana the majority, far, far more than the national average, are divorced. And uh, I heard the gospel for the very first time when I was 19 years old. And I responded immediately. I mentioned that this morning. And then Terry responded about three months later. 
And we, we, we credit God's grace for saving us. And it doesn't hurt that I told her if she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. And I throw that second suitcase up on the bed. It just takes the fire right out of her. So, well, how are we doing? We're ready to go? Oh, you're still working on it. All right. Well, let's review. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And you'll see there in the italics is the actual scripture and then the points that we brought out of it. Number one, Jesus Christ sees people as bankrupt. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The word for poor there is one of the strongest words we could use. It means destitute. It means having nothing. And he's talking about spiritually. Secondly, he saw them broken to heal the brokenhearted. And this is how we need to see people. We need to put on Christ-colored glasses and see people the way that Jesus Christ sees them. Thirdly, he saw them bound to preach deliverance to the captives. And people think, I'm not captive. I'm, I'm not. In fact, I'll be quoting, not quoting, I'll be reading a poem. I am the master of my fate. No, we're not. No, we're not. We are bound. We are captives. And even when we get saved, we are either slaves to Christ or slaves to the devil. There's no other choice. Fourthly, he saw them as blind. They're again spiritually recovering the sight of the blind. And then last of all, he saw them as bruised, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's a picture of salvation for us. And so we see how Jesus Christ sees others. Tonight we want to look and see how Jesus Christ responds to others. Because what we want to do, dear people, is we want to emulate, we want to be Christ-like. We want to be like Jesus. So we need to see as he sees and then we need to respond how Jesus Christ responds. And we want to emulate what he did here. These characteristics that we, we will see tonight. We can do that. Some of you who may know the story well, you're thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Maybe not. Well, let's look on and see. So we have five qualities. Five qualities of Christian love. Five qualities that we're going to find in Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Now, as I read this, I encourage you to do a number of things whenever you read Scripture. This would be if the preacher is preaching. We have a saying in the world, you know, that familiarity breeds contempt. I trust that's never the case with the Word of God. But I think that there is a danger that familiarity could breed apathy. Here's the way that would work. Pastor says, let's go to John chapter 3. We're going to study the story. And before you can even say more, you may have a yawn in your spirit. Oh, oh, John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus. I already know that story. And we could have apathy toward that. We could be apathetic toward that. Don't do that. So what I encourage people to do to avoid that, whenever you read Scripture, any, any setting, whether it's reading, whether it's a devotional, whether it's listening to Scripture... Number one, ask God to help you read it like you never read it before. Even familiar passages. Ask God to give you a fresh perspective on that. Read the story of Joseph without knowing what happened. And you read and you think, whoa, here's a young guy that God is going to use. And the next thing you know, he's in trouble. Well, this would be a good time for God to deliver him. And instead, he gets sold into slavery. Then he does some good things in honoring God. He runs from that wicked woman. This would be a good time for God. Incidentally, that's a lesson. 
Sometimes we're supposed to run from sin. I'm tough. I can handle it. I'll stand and I'll duke it out. No, you won't. And he ran, and you think, this is a good time for God to bless him, and <laughs> ends up in worse trouble than ever. Then he interprets dreams, and you think, well, this would be a good And he's in trouble again. They forgot him. Ask God to help you read the passage like you never read it before. Oh, and my favorite part. Brings tears to my eyes. When he lined his brothers up, he recognized them. They didn't recognize him. I would have loved to have seen, and, and you try to you read it like you never read it before, but then also use some sanctified imagination, and that's what we're going to do in, in Luke tonight. Use some sanctified imagination. But can you just imagine him sitting there? The brothers, excuse me. And, and one of the brothers looks this way. It's my younger brother. It's my older brother. Nothing spectacular about that. Leans a little farther at the table and my next younger brother, and my next younger brother, and, and my next older brother, and my next older brother. And then those classic, classic, not just words, a principle. Romans 8, 28, in the Old Testament, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. All things work out for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So number one, read the passage like you never read it before. We're going to do that in a moment. Number two, use some sanctified imagination. You may even want to close your eyes. It's good to follow along, but in some cases, it might be good just to close your eyes and think how this would be. The widow of Nain. Thirdly, ask God to help us understand it. This is no ordinary book. And part of the danger, for those of us who have known Christ for a while, and it could be a little while, is that we may know enough to get by without any further learning. And I hope you're saying, that's bad, right? Yeah, that's bad. We need to keep learning. We need to keep growing. And then the fourth thing, so, so read it like you never read it before. Use some sanctified imagination. Ask God to help you understand it. And you're ahead of me now, aren't you? You've probably been ahead of me the whole time. Fourthly, ask God to help you do it. We can't do it in our own strength. It's not a matter of gritting our teeth and clenching our fists and saying, I can do it. No, you can't. And so as I read this, try to incorporate those things. Jesus has just healed the centurion's servant. And it says that in verse 10, they, were, they that were sent returned to the house and found the servant well that had been sick. A new page, verse 11. And it came to pass the next day that he, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it came to pass the next day that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and many people. Can you picture that? Jesus is going into the city. His disciples are with him. There's a lot of people. And when he came nigh unto the gate of the city, so picture that. Behold, there was a dead man carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And many people of the city were with her. So using that sanctified imagination, here's a widow lady. Her only son died. She may not know where her next meal is coming from. She may not know where she's going to sleep. There were no retirement programs. There were no Social Security. There were no social programs. This is a dire situation. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. 
makes me think. Any wonder that the, the Bible says, the natural man understandeth not the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to him. How about this? The woman is burying her only son, and Jesus comes along and says, don't cry. Well, that's ridiculous. Unless you're the Lord. And for us, ridiculous. Unless you know the Lord. Weep not. And he came, Jesus, and touched the buyer. And they that bore him stood still. Are you picturing this? And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. Talking to a body, that must have raised some eyebrows. But then look what does. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he, Jesus, delivered him, the former dead guy, to his mother. And there came a fear on all. I want to add my commentary. I suppose so. I suppose so. And there came a fear on all, and I love the result. They glorified God. They didn't run off screaming. They glorified God, saying, A great prophet is raised up among us, and God has visited his people. And this rumor, and we think of a rumor as bad stuff. This isn't bad stuff. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region around him. And the disciples of John showed him, all of these things, five great qualities of Christian love, if we're going to respond like the Lord Jesus Christ responded. Number one, love sees. Jesus saw the funeral procession coming out of the city, bearing the body of a young man, the, the only son of a widowed mother. Jesus saw it. I just don't mean the, con I just don't mean the recognition of the eyeball to the brain. It's more than that. Jesus saw. Dear friends, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. What we're talking about here is supernatural. Now, don't get cocky about this. But we minister with supernatural influence. Not us, but the Holy Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. And God can give us spiritual insight. God can give us a spiritual vision. God can help us meet needs of someone when it's not a, a plaque around them saying, I have needs. Ask God to help you be sensitive. God is interested in our definitions. What's another way of saying definitions? Doctrine. Of course, if we get the doctrine wrong... We'll get it all wrong. And I heard a guy say, don't say amen, you'll be embarrassed. I heard a guy say, God is more concerned with our, uh, with our demonstration than our doctrine. That's wrong. If we get the doctrine wrong, we'll get the demonstration wrong. So what can I say about it? I can say that while God is concerned with our doctrine, with our definitions, God is concerned also with our demonstration. I won't say more concerned. Because even in prayer, if you get the definition wrong, if you get the doctrine wrong, then you'll act wrong. But we're talking here of our demonstration. 
Dear people, we have inherited a broken world. We're supposed to be part of the fix-it aspect. Not part of the break-it influence. And if we're not careful, it's possible to go through life without seeing needs. And I caution us, if we do that and we don't see needs, weren't we looking? And not just with our eyes, but asking God to give us spiritual eyes. And when you see needs, are you willing to give of yourself? And again, I'm not saying reach for your wallet, but it could include your wallet. Would God want you to do something in ministering to someone else that costs you something? Not just your wallet. Dear people, life's accomplishments are truly measured by what we give away. Not by what we keep. Not by what we can get. And we should see needs. And then ask God to help us meet those needs. Number one, love sees. Number two, love feels. Because biblical love is perspective. It sees. There's a perspective there, a a spiritual one. Secondly, love feels. He had compassion upon her. The word for compassion here is to have your bowels yearn. Does that mean to us? It means to feel sympathy. Other places in the Bible, this same word, this compassion, is translated to be moved with compassion. The idea here is that Jesus Christ convulsed. The caring was was so fierce that he convulsed. And I don't want to use an unfair illustration. But I know something of this. We have four children, and one of them's in heaven. And we were with our son Clifford and his 24-year-old wife when he died. And the three of us held each other and wept. And I felt those two women that I love, my wife and my daughter-in-law, and I felt us convulse as we wept at the body of our son and her wife. Jesus Christ ached from within because of the needs of people. It's an intense hurting. It's an intense caring for the spiritual needs of others. And sometimes those needs are shown in physical ways. Philippians chapter 1 verse 8 says, For God is my record how greatly, so the Apostle Paul knew something of this, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Dear people, I beg of us to realize that love always bothers and I warn us in a society where we can be so easily distracted don't shut off your 
emotional perceptors were not run by our emotions, but authentic Christianity and the needs of other people should affect us. Some people are skilled at detachment. Don't be that way. They're pretty, but they're cold and delicate and untouchable. A man in the ministry, I know, was hurt. And he was hurt because of errors of leadership. And he came to me, we're friends. He came to me and he said, Brother Bill, I will never be hurt like that again. I will never allow my wife to be hurt like that again. And I said to him, even as I hugged him, if that's going to be your attitude, you just as well leave the ministry. <laughs> Here I'm talking about having compassion and I'm being hard-hearted. No, no. If you're going to love ministry or no, if you're going to love the way Jesus Christ loved, you're going to be vulnerable. If you're going to love the way Jesus Christ loved, you're going to be hurt. And the moment we put up that shield and say, I'll never allow that to happen, and especially when it comes to our wives, our ministry is over. At least with the impact of the effectiveness that God would want us to have. And, and my friend is out of the ministry. If my dear wife sitting here is thinking, which one is he talking about? There are, there are a few. There actually are. I'll never be hurt like that again. Can I? No. Be careful. Biblical love feels. Ask God to give you balance. Make sure your doctrine's right. And then feel. Thirdly, oh, excuse me. Biblical love is passionate. We need to be passionate. Directed by the Word of God, but passionate. Thirdly, love speaks. Look at verse 13. Jesus said unto her, Weep not. There's some progression here, dear people. Having seen and felt the trauma, he spoke. Listen, friends. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's good to share tracks. I do. I have one track I use a lot. We have a couple others we use also. We have one that we put together for a waitress or for a server, a waiter or a waitress, and someone who helps you, and it's got the gospel on it. I love using tracks. We use tracks. I like to go through tracks with people, not just give it to them when there's an opportunity. I'm all for tracks, but it takes more than just leaving a track if we're going to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Invite people to church. That's good. Never want to minimize that, but you must do more than invite people to church. Invite them to Jesus Christ. Biblical love is propositional. Don't cry, Jesus said. And from those words, Jesus Christ spoke courage. 
to the frightened. He spoke charity to the needy. He spoke compassion to the hopeless. He spoke comfort to the sorrowful. And we should do the same. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy. You think about the names of God, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nissi. Here's the name of God, the God of all comfort. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, called God the God of mercies and the God of of all comfort. And what does he do? The verse goes on. Who comforts us in all of our tribulation. To what end? That we may be able to comfort others which have any trouble with the comfort by which we are comforted of God. You've heard of a, a catch-22 or a vicious cycle? This is not a catch-22. This is not a vicious cycle. This is a precious cycle. God allows us to go through troubles. He comforts us. Whew. End of story. No. No, it's not the end of story. He comforts us so that we may be able to comfort others who are in any trouble. And the word there for trouble is a very broad word. It means trouble of any kind. By the comfort in which we are comforted of God. Wow. After all, Take it seriously, dear people, that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. I'll also be preaching this coming week on 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where it says we are partakers of the divine nature, not will be. We are partakers of the divine nature now. Now, I'm discipling a young man in Montana. We had a discipleship lesson there in my garage. And he was out the door, and he says, well, I'm out, I'm off to becoming a god. And I said, whoa, 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 what did you say? Well, the Bible says we're partakers of the divine nature. I'm off becoming a god. I said, oh, no, you're not. Come back in, sit down. We are partakers of the divine nature through the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us. Don't minimize that. We are not becoming gods. And yet... What if I said to you tonight, I'm, we're talking about emulating Jesus Christ. This is how he saw people this morning. This is how he's responding tonight. And what if I said to you, after all, I'm the light of the world. Some of you aren't comfortable. Some of you aren't. I'm the light of the world. You're thinking, uh-uh. And I led you down that way so you'd think that. Let's look at a couple passages of Scripture. Keep your finger in Luke chapter 7. But look with me, please, to John 9. John 9. And if you go by Matthew 5 on the way to John 9, we'll cover both of those passages. John chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus said, now you're going, those who are concerned, now you're going, whew. Okay, maybe this guy will get it right after all. Maybe we won't have to have that special meeting with pastor and say, what are you thinking having a guy like that in here? As long as I am the world, Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, so Jesus is the light. 
would you be more comfortable if I said I'm a reflector of the light of the world? Well, maybe so. But I said there's two passages, didn't I? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, where Jesus said, You are the light of the world. So it's not Bill that says, I'm the light of the world. It's Jesus that says, I'm the light of the world. And if you want to say, if you're more comfortable, and I'm serious about this. I'm not being cocky. If you're more comfortable saying, well, we're reflectors. Okay, but Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I am the light of the world while I am in the world. Important distinction there, isn't it? But when he left, when I'm going to leave, you are the light of the world. Dear people, take it seriously. We are the visible representation of the invisible Christ. We are not gods. We are not becoming gods. I trust I've made that abundantly clear. But we are the light of the world. Jesus Christ said so. So let's act like who we are. And, and let's trust God. I love to preach on good works. We don't believe in good works to get saved, but we certainly believe in good works because we are already saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But where's that verse that says you are his workmanship? The very next verse. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And then he says, and I think, what kind of relationship do we have? What kind of God do we have that says, Bill, I saved you in verses 8 and 9, for by grace, through faith. And that out of yourselves. I didn't have enough faith to get saved. He had to give me the faith to get saved. And then he says, go do good works, because you are already saved. And then he says, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God has these expectations of me, and then he plans them out ahead of time. Where if I'll pay attention... He's ordained good works for me to walk in. What kind of precious relationship is that? Huh. Saw a lady. I told my family, we're going home. Going home after church Sunday night. I said, I got to run into the store for a few minutes. And the family says, yeah, right, Dad. I said, I'll be right out. And they said, yeah, right, Dad. And I went in, and I did really, really well. And I came right out. But while I was standing in the checkout line, I looked at this lady behind me, probably younger than I am. She was younger than I am. And I looked right at her, and I says, good evening. I said, how are you? And she says, I'm fine. And it was just the Lord. And I just maintained eye contact with her. And she started to cry. And she says, I'm not fine. I just found out I have cancer, and it's serious. She had children. I says, come on. Come on, meet my family. I'm walking out, and the kids told me later, they see me walking out with this lady and say, Dad met another friend. Dad never met a stranger. We put her in contact with one of our ladies in church. Saw that lady come to Christ. Whew, man, I'll tell you what, I'm a man of discernment. No, no, come on. That's not the story of that. That's not the bottom line of that story. 
God is a God that laid out some good works for me to do ahead of time. And I asked the right question, how are you? And when she said fine, I didn't let it drop. I didn't have any special, you know, I really sensed that she wasn't. I didn't sense nothing. And it was God. It was God. Number four, love acts. He came and touched the buyer. <laughs> you see, biblical love is practical. Love acts. Biblical love, there's a progression, remember. Biblical love not only sees and feels and speaks, but, but biblical love is doing. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. It means not only in word or tongue, but let us love in deed and truth. Oh, and this incidentally, this was a costly act for Jesus. Do you realize in touching the funeral buyer, this left him unclean ceremonially? He was never unclean, but following the laws that he did, this would have left him unclean ceremonially. Not morally. Unfit. He would be left unfit to participate in the temple because he touched the funeral buyer, touched the body. And a couple lessons here is that Jesus Christ was more concerned with people than ritual. We don't have to worry about that in a Baptist church, and it's a good thing. That's not a criticism. That's a compliment. What kind of ritual are we going to do next? Nothing. So Jesus Christ is more concerned with people than he is with ritual. And then secondly, responding to needs, it can cost you something. It can cost you something. Now, I began by saying we should emulate what Jesus did. He did these things, and we can do these things. You're saying, Bill, you're not suggesting that we can raise up a dead body, are you? Not physically. But God can use us. No, we can't. We can't. But God can use us. When a person does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, what does the Bible say that they are? They are dead. They are dead in trespasses and sins. And God in his wonderful sovereignty allows you, allows me to have a role in raising a spiritually dead person to life. No, no, not a physically dead person, but a spiritually dead person. Number five. Love impacts. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, oh, God has done a wonderful work among us. You see, biblical love is powerful. It affects the eyes and the hearts of others. It is the evidence that God is in us. It is the evidence that we are different, that we are changed, that we are alive and that we can make a difference. In ourselves, never, never, never. I, you folks don't know me very well. I'm not suggesting that we can do anything. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. By God's grace, ask the Lord to direct you. 
If you're sure that you're sure that you're sure that you're saved, that there's been a time in your life when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, then trust Him, for we are His workmanship. Oh, oh, the word for workmanship? I don't use a Greek word very often unless we can make a good connection. Oh, that's, that helps me. The word for workmanship, we are His workmanship, is poema. What do you hear there? The poem. We are the poem of God. We are the beautiful, you could even say artistic expression of the mind of God. When God wants to show himself, there's a very real, very real sense, dear people, that he wants to use you. He wants to use me. By God's grace, let's see like Jesus Christ sees in our brief review tonight from this morning. But then let's, let's act like Jesus Christ acted. Let's ask him to help us see with spiritual eyes and to feel and to speak and to act and to impact a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the evidence that God is in us. I'd like to have a time of prayer. Pastor, while you're coming, I'd like to just take a time of silent prayer and just talk to God about, I'm assuming, something related to the message. I'll be quiet. Let's pray now. Pastor, give us a minute. And that's kind of a long time. And then you come and close us however the Lord leads you, okay? Let's pray.